Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I love when things smell good, especially my living space. And wax melts is one of the ways that I have been keeping my home smelling fresh. Lately, I have been using Elle's Sweet Tart Wax Melts. Named after her daughter, Rosalind started making her wax melts and bath bombs. The smell is amazing, and she offers the best of what handcraft goods should be, with hard work, dedication, and love. I am in love with the scent house party right now, and one cube will last you four hours, so your home can stay fresh, and you can keep a level head. Feeling like you need a vacation? Then you should try Tropical Waterfalls so you can relax while you work from home. When your place smells good, you feel good. And Elle's Sweet Tart Wax Melts do just that. Check out our website, ellsmelts.com. That's E-L-S-M-E-L-T-S dot com. You can check her out on Instagram at Elle's, E-L-S underscore sweet underscore tarts. And you can check her out on Facebook at L Sweet Tarts, E-L apostrophe S Sweet Tarts. And of course, you can use Sisters Who Kill to get 20% off. Now, enjoy the show. Um, What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Taz. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. What about your friends? Will they stand their ground? Will they let you down? Hey, what about your friends? Are they going to be low down? Will they ever be around or will they turn their backs on you? Our players this week are Maria Palomino. She's 71. She's our victim. Eva Mondragon-Harris. This is Jennifer's friend, question mark. Kenneth Wayne Driver, who is Jennifer's boyfriend. For Raleigh Smith Jr., who is Kenneth's brother. And Jennifer Jeffley, our murderess. Jennifer was born on September 2nd, 1981. She started pre-K when she was four because she had a late birthday. She was one of those cutoff kids. I was a cutoff kid. I always was kind of envious of the cutoff kids because they were the oldest in our age group, but I was always the youngest in our age group. Like, my birthday's in May. Remember we graduated, like, always yeah, around my birthday? I always felt late. Like, I'm just—I was the same age as the people in the grade ahead of me, and it was just like— 
You was just a couple months late. Mm-hmm. That's what puts me and Lainey and Selena in a different year. Just that month. Damn. <laughs> she loved school and she was super smart. She grew up as a Jehovah's Witness and her mom moved her and her older sister came around a lot. They would try and clean houses and babysit and try and do all these things they could to make money as a kid. But she also was like a really well-rounded kid too. She swam, she ran track, she cheerleaded. She was treasurer and student council. She was like, I tried a little bit of everything. Yeah. Like, she was very involved as a kid. Plus, she was a little mini hustler. Like, right. We always hear about little boys being like, oh, can I go mow your lawn? Can I go mow your lawn? But her and her sister were like, hey, can we babysit? Can we do, can we sell some candy? Whatever we had to do. That was me, man. I used to be the kid selling candy in class, and I would turn the little candy box into my cash register. I got change. What you need? What that you need? That is so funny. <laughs> that was Bria in middle school. It's me. always good to be friends with the candy kids. Jennifer, you know, she she had her friends at school, but because she was Jehovah's Witness, she couldn't participate in a lot of things at school, like pep rallies. Um, She said she always felt weird that she had to step outside and say the Pledge of Allegiance. And she couldn't attend the Valentine's Day parties or the birthday parties. The Christmas parties at school. Yeah, it's like a—it's one of those stricter religions. I remember my cousin. She wasn't Jehovah's Witness, but her aunt was. And she's like, when I'm over this house, I can't watch Fairly Odd Parents. You know, you can't watch anything with any type of magic or witchcraft mm-hmm. in it. So you miss out on a lot of those cartoon shows. I just remember a girl that was Jehovah's Witness. And when I was in, like, elementary school, and we were all coloring our Christmas trees. And she had to color an apple. Yeah. And she was like... And I think as a kid, it's very much like, well, I don't get to do what everybody else does. Right. Me. But, like, Jehovah's Witness is super strict. Like, they will shun you. Mm-hmm. They will shun you. <laughs> So, in addition to, you know, being well-rounded in school, she had a pretty close-knit family. Her mom was a single mom, but she had five kids in total. And she's either the youngest or the second youngest, right? She had a brother who she was very close with. Her and her brother were only 18 months apart. And the middle sister, she was close in age two, and that was Kim, right? Mm-hmm. And I think growing up with five siblings, you know, you Especially, always got a friend somewhere, you know? Right, and they didn't have a lot of money, so they really were leaned on each other. Mm-hmm. And then she says they were poor. She was like, but my mom, she held it down, you know? She's like, I didn't realize I was poor until I got to middle school, and I wasn't wearing the name brands that everybody else was. It's not, but she's like, I ain't, I ain't want for nothing, for real. You know, so in March of 1994, tragedy struck the family. Her eldest brother was headed to an arcade and he gets to the arcade and he meets up with his friends and something happens and he was shot and killed. And also, y'all, he was at home visiting from college like he wasn't just he was a home visitor from college. Right. Some shit happened. And her mom said he had just left me. I had seen him 30 minutes before he died. And when she arrived on scene, she said the body was still warm. Like, she got there, like, right after, and he did not make it. He died, unfortunately, and the family kind of had to, you know, rally around each other and push each other through. As if that wasn't hard enough, just three months later, in June of the same year, her youngest brother was diagnosed with cancer. The family, they were looking after him, just trying to make sure he gets the best treatment. The mom's doing whatever she can. She's trying to, like, get a better job so she can get better insurance and better access to health Because, God forbid, something happens to your child while you are poor in America. I mean, 
God forbid something happens where your child needs serious medical treatment while you are poor in America. So she is just doing whatever she can. And it seemed like the brother was getting better for a while. So Jennifer's mom, Jackie, she said her son was getting a little better, but he wanted to play sports. And she was like, no, I don't want you to get hurt. Turns out he was playing with some kid, got hit with his stomach. And they say that exasperated something and caused the cancer to come back. But he was back up to another fight. He had to do chemo treatments and all of that stuff. And Jackie was like, listen, where can I go to get the best treatment for my son? Because they had moved around a lot. And, mm-hmm. and she was like, I don't really, wh- wh- what are my options to get the best treatment for my son? And they was like, well, you know what? Houston's got a really good center. She was like, I guess we're going to take him to Houston then because I got to have my baby, right? So she starts applying for a job transfer to Houston. And she is shuttling back and forth, trying to get him to his chemo treatments while she's looking for a house out there. She's setting up like housing and everything for him to live there. And in December of that same year, he ended up passing. So she lost both of her sons in the same year, one to murder and one to cancer. Like, 94 was not a good year for the Jeffrey family. And not at all. So Jackie had already put in the steps to find a new place to live. And she didn't really want to be at her old house because it reminded her of her two kids that she lost. So she was like, you know what? We're just going to take this opportunity to go to Houston and just try and restart our life. And she's like, got to pay back funeral costs. She's got to pay back medical bills. She's got to work. She's mm-hmm. got to make up this money. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So she's not really around and as attentive as she would have been, you know? And I'm sure she's also dealing and coping with stuff on her own. So, you know, it's like kind of hard to pull yourself out your own head and really be there for the other ones. The oldest daughter is starting her own family. So she's out of the house. She's not really there. And so it's really just Jennifer and the middle sister, Kim. Trying to hold down Holding the floor, thugging it out, right? So while they were sitting there helping taking care of their brother while he was sick, they missed a lot of school. And at their old school, the teachers were like, we understand your brother had cancer. You pass these tests, we'll pass you to the next grade. Mm -hmm. When they moved up to Houston, they was like, girl, you didn't take enough classes. You're going back to the same grade. So now Jennifer's feeling a little defeated. Like, come on, I'm smart. Mm Mm-hmm. And now I kind of feel like I got held back twice. Like, I already started school late. I was already, like, the oldest. And now I'm about to be, like, the oldest, obviously, yeah. out of my class. She's like, I'm 15 years old. I'm in the eighth grade. Like, that don't make no sense. It's it's embarrassing. It's, right. And I'm in this new town. They're going to think I'm stupid. Like, they don't know what the fuck was going on with me and why I was held back or whatever. And they kind of came from a quiet life. Like, they were Jehovah's Witness. They were shielded from a lot of things. And she was like... Houston took us fast, and she was just kind of like, big city, new life, mom's busy, it's just me and Kim, and we out here thugging it, you know? They said that, like, sometimes Jennifer would be in trouble, but, like, if mom is at work, who's going to tell her? How are you going to tell me that I'm on punishment? Mm -hmm. You have to go to work. And her mom had to rely on the girls to really... She had to rely on their word that they were going to go to school. She had to rely on their word that they were going to stay at the house and do what they had to do mm-hmm. because she's the only adult and she's the only breadwinner. She has to go to work. Mm-hmm. She can't say, oh, no, I can't go to work because you're on punishment. And Maybe I think her great. mom would come in from time to time to help, but still, the girls was kind of... And I'm not going to say, like, they were bad, but they took advantage of the free time. And, but that's what kids do. They test the limits. And especially kids who are grieving through sh- shit, you know what I mean? Like, they act out because they don't know how to process their emotions or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, 
I just lost my brother, her brother who she was extremely close to. And I'm in this big new city. I'm trying to, like, prove myself because, one, I'm behind. And she was like, so I kind of, you know, started hanging out with people. And she was like, you know, I don't think she necessarily knew how hood it was then. But she was like, this is stuff I ain't seen before. She was like, I ain't never seen people smoking weed and now people smoking weed. And, you know, it's just, she was like, I ain't never seen drugs being sold. But the thing was, this crazy. Their mom really didn't even see that because she was gone so much. Mm-hmm. She was like, you know, she I, was thought like, the, I, I, I thought, thought the, the neighborhood, neighborhood was fine. Right. <laughs> she was like, I thought it was all right. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. like the girls, they were seeing another side of it because they were thrust in that environment and they were in that environment at all times. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer is like, I kind of just had to act like I knew what was going on. You know when you know that you ain't used to something, but you're not about to let everybody else know that you don't know because they're going to act like you all naive and shit. So you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm used to this shit. I'm going to play it cool or whatever. I ain't going to act like I'm scared or uncomfortable because ain't nobody about to call me no bitch or nothing, you know? Right. So she's like, I just kind of took in with it. They would smoke. So I'm like, yeah, of course I smoke. Who doesn't? You know, just really trying to trying to keep up or whatever, right? So they had this first apartment in Houston and it was a decent sized apartment, but drama and tragedy strikes again and there was a fire underneath them in the apartment below them. So they ended up having to move. So they moved to the Green Arbor Apartments in Houston, Texas. That is so stressful. Like, like, catch a break. Please, please give me a break. So they end up moving to the Green Arbor Apartments in Houston, Texas. And they, again, made neighborhood friends. And the mom, you know, thought this was a safe neighborhood or whatever. It's a little bit better, you know. It it wasn't as bad as their first apartment. They're not seeing drugs as active all the time. But, you know, still mom didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. She just had no way of doing that because she was trying to make money. And then her mom said she became close with this woman, Eva Mondragon Harris. She was like... She was just this girl around the neighborhood. She would watch the kids from time to time. And Jennifer kind of grew close to her. And so I would just let her stay out, you know? I don't know why a 15-year-old is hanging out with a 24-year-old and calling this person their friend. Right. Babysitter watching her, that's one thing. But friend? That's not your friend. It's not your friend. I mean, I guess when I used to watch Jay, she'd be like, no, we're friends. (laughs) But... I just... But Jay didn't become your actual friend until she was an an adult. She wasn't your friend at 15. Right. But see, is it Eva calling her her friend or is it Jennifer calling her her friend? Mm. You know? But she spent a lot of time over there. There's this thing called Truth and Justice. It's a podcast with uh, Bob Ruff. And Jennifer's mom and Jennifer speaks on the podcast. And it's really um, interesting if you guys check it out. And... Kimberly, which is uh, Jennifer's sister, Kim and her mom got into it because Kimberly, you know, she's a little bit older. She's wanting to talk to boys. She's um, leaving the house and spending the night with a couple friends because mom is like trying to put her foot down. But Kimberly's like, how you don't tell me I can't talk to boys? Hey, how you gonna stop me? <laughs> so on October 28th, 1996, which was a few days after Kim and their mom get into it, Jennifer ends up sleeping over at Eva Mondragon's house. They're like having a sleepover, but there are also a few guys there at the sleepover. In the morning, Jennifer woke up and she had a page on her pager. And that page was to call her uncle. And her uncle's name is Craig Peters. And... She calls him. She tries to use 
Eva's phone, but Eva's phone wasn't working. So she goes to a neighbor's house, this neighbor named Janet Dorsey. And she's like, hey, you know, can I use your phone so I can call my uh, uncle back? So she calls her uncle back and she waits about, he doesn't answer. She waits about 30 minutes and he calls back. They talk, he said, according to him, he said, you know, we had a basic regular conversation. There's really no details about their conversation other than it was a basic regular conversation. And then Jennifer stayed, chatted with Janet for a little while and then she left. Now, when she left her apartment, she goes back to Eva's apartment and... You know how apartment complex is? Like, it's the two apartments on the bottom, and it's the two apartments on the top, and there's going upstairs, and it's the railing. Like, And Eva is hanging, like, over the railing. She's looking over the railing, and she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. She's screaming. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I need to go get help. And Jennifer is like, what's going on? And she looks over, and she sees that the downstairs neighbor is an old lady named Miss Palomina. And in Miss Palomina's apartment, what she can see is that the screen door was off track and that there was a shoe in the hallway. And this screen door, like, when you see it, it looks like it had been either kicked in, kicked out. You can tell that where the handle is, there has been some kicking. So there's clearly a sign of some type of force entry into this house, and there's a shoe. So Eva goes to get help. She goes to get the maintenance guys and the apartment manager, and they come. They knock on the door. No response. So they're like, okay, no one's answering. They jump over, like, the back patio fence area, and they enter the home. And Jennifer said when she got into the house, that she followed all of them, and they saw Miss Palomino's body in the doorway. Her So her feet were facing the living room, and her head was facing that doorway. There was broken pottery around her. Jennifer said that she didn't see blood and she didn't check and see if she was alive. You know, there were adults there, so there was no need for her to check and see if there were signs of life. And the apartment manager told Eva and Jennifer to leave and go back upstairs like they were going to handle this. So they left. They went back upstairs. And that's when, according to Jennifer, Eva's like, all right, this is what you're going to say to the police. She told her, you are going to tell them that we were together this entire time and do not give the police any more information, even if they ask for it. She says, listen, you need to do this exactly how I say, because our lives are in danger. Which, at 15, <laughs> what do you mean my life is in danger? <laughs> okay, whatever you say, you know what I mean? Like, how's my life in danger if I didn't do nothing? I've got a lot of questions, but I guess this is also somebody she trusted and called a friend and was older. Mm-hmm. And an influence in her life, so. Right, because, I mean, like, Eva's 24. And to a 15-year-old, a 24-year-old You're has, grown. like, <laughs> grown-up life experience. Now, somebody that is past me, who is past the age of 24, knows that. I don't know nothing. Shit. <laughs> don't know shit on a stick. Like, nothing. But to a 15-year-old, it seems that way. Um, and so everything was happening so fast. You know, the police are obviously on the way. And Jennifer was like, okay, you know, when the police come and talk to all of us, me you and the two niggas that was in the house, we're all going to have the same statement. We're all together, blah, 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 blah. Now, Houston PD, of course, is on their way. They're um, headed to those Green Arbor apartments to investigate the death. Now, when they arrive, of course, they find the body. They find a messy scene. Did you see the um, crime scene video I sent you? It's, I put it in our chat. It's silent, but it's it's a good indicator. It just shows people standing outside. The body is blurred. But what I didn't see was a shit ton of blood. Anyways, when the police arrive, they go to the apartment. Of course, it's a bloody, messy scene. Um, there's broken ceramic pottery pieces everywhere. Miss Palomina's glasses and blood splatters are next to her body. I mean, in the kitchen, there is an open drawer and it contained knives. And in that area was also some blood spatter. So you can tell 
tell that there was a bit of a struggle. It's not just contained to one specific area. They observed blood on the walls. There were two different purses on the table and they took fingerprints. They took blood. They took fiber samples. They took everything they needed so that they could go and take it to the lab for testing. Now, when Miss Palomina had her autopsy, they found out the cause of death was multiple sharp force injuries associated with blunt force trauma to the head. She had also been stabbed multiple times. So it's the day after the murder, which is October 30th, 1996. The police asked the witnesses in the neighborhood for information. And Eva Mondragon, she had her story and she was ready to tell it. Now, this is what Eva told the police. She told the police that Jennifer and Kenneth, who is, you know, Jennifer's boyfriend, and two other guys spent the night at her apartment. And on Monday, which was the day of the murder, Eva and the two boys were awakened by the screams of from Miss Palomina's apartment. They ran outside, they stood in the stair railing, they looked down and they're like, you know, Miss Palomina, is everything okay? And she was like, and then I heard this faint voice saying, I'm okay, I just fell and hit my head. She was like, you know, it didn't really sound like her, but it was some type of unfamiliar voice, but she was like, oh, I hit my head. And Eva was like, after I I heard that, I ran down, you know, old lady fell. So I ran down and got the apartment manager to get help. She's like, and when I got back, the two brothers, the two guys that were standing outside, they were waiting on Miss Palomina and they were with Jennifer. So it was the guys, Jennifer, waiting on me to come back with the maintenance man. So they're like, all right, okay, let's get these people down here. Let's actually get Jennifer. Jennifer, come on down here. Let's chat with you and see what's going on. This week's episode is brought to you by Chateau Noir. Chateau Noir is a space for Black creatives. Led by artist, mother, and abolitionist Chantrice, she is focused on two things. One, helping artists sell their work. And two, creating custom art. Her art has been commissioned for events, personalized gifts, and statement pieces. You can check out her unique work. They're paintings, prints, she's even got pillows. And you can use the code SISTASISTA to get 10% off official merch. That's S-I-S-T-A, S-I-S-T-A, to get 10% off of her official merch. She has earned more than $5 million in grants and fellowships, and she has worked at Essence Magazine, National Geographic, Blavity, and more. Let Shada Noir help you find your way in the art world, or just buy some art from a black woman. You can follow her on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Shada Noir, or check out her website, shadanoir.org. All of her information will be in the description box below. So the police come back, and they're like, okay, we need Jennifer's statement to see what happened this day. So Jennifer lies, and she says exactly what Eva instructed her to say. She says she was woken up by some screams. She jumps over the balcony of Miss Palomina's, and she saw her body laying there. And that's when she went through the drawers and two purses looking for pen and paper to write down what she saw. This is all completely false, but she's just saying it because Eva told her to. And because their lives were in danger, right? right? So she was like, yeah, uh... I'm just, I'm doing this so y'all can have a clear picture of what happened. Still, same day of the murder, and Detective Roy Swainson goes back, and he's like, Jennifer, we actually have some more questions for you. And they're like, we're taking you and Ferrelli, Jennifer's boyfriend's brother, to the station for more questioning. And Jennifer's grandmother was at the house and was like, oh, her mom was at work. Mm -hmm. And so Jennifer's grandmother was at the house, and... She was like, oh, where are you taking her? Can I follow? I mean, she was like, can I go with her? And they was like, we actually don't have any room in the squad car for you. And Jennifer, says, she remembers this clear as day. She said it was a brand new Ford Taurus, the cop car. And it still had the new car smell. And they said there was not enough room for her grandmother. And her grandmother says, 
Well, can I go get the car keys and follow behind you? And the detective says, sure, that'll be fine. Grandmother goes in the house. She grabs her purse and grabs her keys. By the time she comes back out, the cop is gone. With Jennifer. With Jennifer. Which, that shit right there would have sent me in a tizzy. Because where the fuck y'all going? With this child. With the with this child. You ain't tell me where she was going. And see, the thing we, is... We're not from here, so I'm clearly asking because I don't know. Right. The thing is, they're not from Houston, so they don't know where this police station is. They don't know where to go. It's 1996, so it's not like they can just pull it up on their phone and figure it out. Like, she doesn't know where to go. All she has is this business card saying where the office is, and she's just like, I, I, I ain't know what to do. I ain't know where to find her. And then... The mama ain't got no cell phone. So the mama doesn't even find out what happens until she comes home from work. Imagine coming home from work and your mama sitting there telling you, uh, so <laughs> Jennifer came home today. Cause remember she 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 hadn't been home in a couple of days. Jennifer came home today and um cops came and took her out of here. Like, what the fuck happened while I was mean? at work? Like, what? So Back at the police station, Detective Swainson and Sergeant Wayman Allen, is they're going back and forth with her, drilling her with questions, drilling her with questions. Jennifer has no lawyer. Jennifer has no adult. It is just her and these two cops in this room, right? So according to the court documents, they interviewed her for three hours and 45 minutes, and she was never alone in interrogation. This is not videotaped. It is not audio recorded. There's no proof of how long she's been in there. But if you ask her sister, Kim, she says they came and took her at 10 that morning, right, to start the questioning. Mm -hmm. She said the reason why they said that they came and got her at 3 is because they did not stop questioning her until 6. And it's actually illegal and it's considered coercion if you question somebody for more than 6 hours. And so they... Especially a minor. They shortened it to make it seem like they were on track. But she was like, mm-mm, she got picked up at 10. She'd been there. They asking her what happened, what happened, what happened, and she's lying over and over again, keeps telling the same story that Eva has shoved down her throat. And she's like, ah. she's woke by the screams, went over there, rifled through her shit. That's it. That's all happened. They're like, girl, you are lying. Now, another thing that her sister uh, Kim mentioned was that it's also illegal if you're questioning a minor, if they say something incriminating or that makes them sound guilty, you have to inform the parents. Yep. Which also did not happen. Nope. So Jackie, Jennifer's mom, is calling up there during the day and the police are telling her that they're questioning her. They're like, oh, yeah, we're questioning Jennifer, but it's no need to come down. We'll be done um, with her in about 30 minutes. So she was like, 30 minutes would go by. And I had a call again, and they were like, oh, she's fine. They are like, oh, you know, she's in good hands. We're taking care of her. And she's like, oh, okay. She's like, we'll bring her back in about 30 minutes. We'll fin- we're finishing up here about 30 minutes. She's like, oh, okay. 30 minutes will go by. She would call up again. Oh, she's in good hands. We'll bring her by in 30 minutes. The way that my mother... Mom, mama did not play about me, okay? <laughs> that would have never went down like that. And I'm not going to sit here and blame her mom because you just don't know, but, like, can see in that shock not knowing your rights, especially because ignorance is no defense, and they will use the fact that you are ignorant about something to their advantage. Mm-hmm. So I'm not here to point fingers, no. but I know that her ass would have been so quickly 
hunting down everybody. Where the fuck is my child? Who the fuck told you to take her? Why the fuck ain't I there? Like, it just would not have. She ain't no way. Ain't no way. The way that they say they called up there, they was like, oh, we coming. Oh, we coming. Oh, we coming. First of all, when I asked you the first time, you should have let me know where she was at. Ain't no, don't worry about it. She in good hands. She ain't in good hands until she in my hands, nigga. How about that? She is innocent right now. You are questioning a innocent until proven guilty child. Like, she's not even 16. Like, she don't even... Yeah, the age of consent in Texas is 17, so she ain't even at the age of consent. Like, you can't do nothing with her. Not without an adult present. Not without an adult with her best interest present. She still need her field trip slip signed. Right. (laughs) Y'all are questioning this girl. They ask her why she went through the purse and why were her fingerprints on the drawer where the murder weapon was. And she's like, I don't have an explanation for that because I don't know. She, I didn't touch the victim. And they were like, mm, we think that you're lying. Uh, and she was like, I kept telling them, I maintained that statement that I didn't know anything, that I didn't touch the victim. But they told me that they had fingerprints on me and I, I panicked. So I came up with these new statements. So she changed her story to story number two. Yeah, her story number one from Taz. Now, story number two, she says that her and Ava came back from the manager's office, and Ava told her to go over the fence and into the apartment and check on Miss Palomina before the maintenance guy arrived on the scene. And Jennifer said, I moved a piece of broken pottery that was on Miss Palomina's neck, and she said she picked up the purse and put it in the chair because that's what Ava told her to do. And then when the managers arrived, they were like, all right, y'all need to go ahead and leave the apartment. And so the sergeant, Sergeant Allen, asked Jennifer if she had ever been inside of Miss Palomina's kitchen. And she said that she had forgotten to tell. She was like, oh, I forgot to tell y'all that, you know, I went into the kitchen and I went into the kitchen because I went to go get a pen, like a writing pen. And she was like, and Ava, she told me to write down everything that I saw when I was inside of the apartment. So um, that's what happened. Ava told me that the police were going to ask for a statement. So she was like, go in there, get a pen, write down everything that you see while you're in there. And so the police were like, mm, let me hound you a little bit more. So they ha- they hound her a little bit more. Good cop, bad cop, bad cop, bad cop, bad cop, worst cop. I don't fucking know. And they're tag teaming her. You know, the officers, you know how that shit go. And Jennifer was like, was like she just did not get a break. It was just nonstop questioning. Right. And so finally she has to go to the restroom. She goes to the restroom. She's like, fucking stressed out. She goes in there, splashes some water on her face, tries to calm down. And um, then she's like, okay, I'm ready for... I, I here's, a, here's a different story. This is what really happened. And she tells him the third story. Now, all during this time, she does not know that she is allowed to have a lawyer because they keep telling her, well, you're not in trouble. Why would you need a lawyer if you're in trouble? If you're not... You don't... You didn't do anything wrong. We just need you to help us. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to figure out the facts, and we just need your help to figure out the facts. So there's no reason. There's no need for any of that. And there's this book, y'all, called Ignorance is No Defense, and I think it's just like Georgia Laws. Do you know that book? <laughs> yeah, because Mr. Bowtie had us all talking who's about Bo- it. Who's Mr. Bowtie? Yeah, oh, I know Bowtie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they sit there did a whole little pep rally on it. Even before we went to Tucker, when I was in middle school and we were taking Georgia history, 
our Georgia history teacher, she would read a different law from the book because you have the right to know. If you don't know, that don't change shit. It, it doesn't change anything. It's like saying, oh, I didn't know that murder was bad. Oh, I didn't know that running this red light was bad. Their ignorance is no defense. Just like, oh, I didn't know that. And so she didn't know that she could have a lawyer. So she tells them the third statement. So the third statement is that Eva talked about roughing up Miss Palomina because she know how y'all like to tussle. No. Um, she talked about roughing up Miss Palomina because, because she complained about the noise in Eva's apartment. Jennifer said after returning to Eva's apartment and making a phone call to Craig Peters, she saw Eva and Frank coming over the patio fence. Jennifer admitted that the statement wasn't true and confessed that she gave the original statement because Eva told her to. And Eva said, you need to lie to police, you know. Again, Jackie, her mom, is calling through all of this. And police are like, listen, no need for you to come up here, ma'am. We're going to take care of her. We just have a couple more questions. We'll have her home very soon, right? Jackie's like, they told me she'd have her home in 30 minutes. 30 minutes came, 30 minutes went. I call again. They tell me 30 more minutes. Oh, man, 45. And she was like, again, I do not know where this police station is. She said the car that they gave me had an office address, but I didn't know where they were actually had her and anytime I asked they told me don't worry about it which sounds like kidnapping because why the fuck I don't know where my kid at right y'all are two grown-ass men with my minor daughter and you are and I've asked her for hours at this point and you are telling me do not worry about where she is and I'm supposed to just trust you because you were the police no and she was like I just didn't know what to do she's like I, I didn't know how to get there to go up there and be with her right so all the while, they're still questioning Jennifer. And they're like, listen, girl, we got your fingerprints and your blood saying that you was there. Saying that you was there and that you was involved. So we know you're lying. And Jennifer's like, but I'm not. Like, this is what happened. I wasn't there. I didn't hurt this lady. I don't know what else you want me to tell you. They was like, you're going to have to tell us the truth or something, girl. Because this, this ain't it. And so she's like, okay. She finally is like, I'll tell you what you want to hear. I'm ready to tell y'all what happened. And the police are like, all righty, we are listening. She's exhausted. Remember, the police are like, all we need is for you to tell us what's going on. Tell us what actually happened. You can go home. Aren't you ready to go home? Absolutely. And so she's like, all right, if I tell you this, I can go home. They're like, tell us this and you can go home. She's like, okay, this is what happened. Remember, y'all, we're on statement number four. She said, okay, Ernest and Tim and Jennifer, these three together, they had planned to steal Miss Palomina's car, and they didn't want to break in the car, so they were like, okay, let's go ahead and rob Miss Palomina. Let's tie her up get her, and get her car keys. And they were like, Jennifer, we need you to be the lookout, make sure, you know, nobody comes. And Jennifer agreed to be the lookout. And she was like, you know, I'll be at the lookout. You know, give me a little money when y'all sell the car. And they're like, all right, bet. So Jennifer thought that the robbery was going to happen on Monday night. But on Monday night, when she was spending the night, the guys didn't show up. So on Tuesday, she ran into the two guys on the way back from Eva's apartment. And those three together, so Jennifer... 
Ernest and Tim together went into the apartment and decided to rob Miss Palomina. Jennifer and the two guys, they went over her little back patio fence and they entered the apartment. She screamed and Ernest hit her with that clay pot. Jennifer and Tim, they're looking for the keys. They're trying to find the uh, car keys. And they go and get a knife from the kitchen drawer. Tim grabbed the knife, gave the knife to Ernest, and Ernest stabbed Miss Palomina. Jennifer then went inside Miss Palomina's apartment when Eva came down the stairs and asked if Miss Palomina was okay. And for all those statements, they were like, oh, you know, Jennifer made... Ava was like, is everything all right down there? And Ernest was the one, and his, it was his voice. It was like, oh, I'm fine. I just broke my head. So it was Ernest trying to be like a woman's voice. Mm-hmm. So we're on statement number four. Clearly, y'all heard him. The story has changed each and every time. She's tired. She's- I'm tired. <laughs> and remember, she's a 15-year-old sitting alone, no parent, no lawyer, exhausted. And they're like, great. We got what we wanted from her. Now, this statement was also put into her court documents because so the police were like, hmm, this is a statement that we want to hear. This is a story that, you know, helps solve a crime. So instead of her writing that statement, that statement ends up being typed up by police. And they're like, all right, here's your statement. Everything that you said to us. Sign this and you can go home. She's 15. She don't even read what they wrote. She's just like, great. I sign this. I get to go home. Signs it. Gives it back to them. I just feel like by the time I was in third grade, my mom was telling me, don't sign shit without reading it first. Even teachers was like, I had a teacher and I tried to sign something. She was like, do you know what it says? No. Why are you signing it? And I have kept that with me from here on out. Like, what does it say? People, you know, people would be like, sign here, here, here. You're going to have to slow down because what does it say? Don't tell me to sign here. Um, I was just reading a book where the girl was like getting some big mu- music deal. It was like her first big like music break or whatever. And the producer was like, all right, you sign this. If you want to read it over with your lawyer, let me know. And she's like, oh, I think it's fine. And then start signing. He was like, so you just signed a contract to clean my house. Like, I hope this is a good lesson for you. Read everything, anything before you sign it. Like, teach your kids young. And if you can't read it, call me. Right. (laughs) If you can't understand it, find somebody who you trust who can explain it to Mm -hmm. you. So the detectives type up this statement. Jennifer signs it. And her mom calls again. And the police are like, yeah, uh, she just confessed to this murder. Jennifer's not coming home. And they and they call and tell Jennifer's mom this it, it's somewhere in between like one o'clock and three o'clock in the morning. Imagine it spent all damn day, and at one o'clock in the morning, police call like, "Oh yeah, she ain't coming home." And that very night, they took her to the magistrate and slapped down the paper, the confession. She was charged as an adult for capital murder, even though she was fifteen. It, in the state of Texas, it's below the age to be considered to be charged as an adult. Right. So she was 15. She should have been charged as a minor, but they were all straight like, "Mm -mm, we got got an easy confession. Let's charge her as an adult. Get this capital murder rolling. And that's crazy because they didn't even 
the testimony doesn't even say that she did it, just that she participated in it. Mm-hmm. And for y'all to jump it up like that, it's like... Sh- really wild. So she's got this huge charge hanging over her head. She now knows that she's going to be tried as an adult. And now she gets ready to go to trial. Bitch, take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. Whew, I'm ready to yell about this public defender. You ready? ready? It's like they play less catch a nigga with her. Like... She really just got caught in a trap. Mm-hmm. Jennifer, Jennifer is assigned a public defender that never contacted Jennifer or her mom until the trial. I think the sister said that the public defender visited her one day in jail, all while leading up to her trial trying to prepare the defense. One time she met with her public defender. She tried to get in touch with him. The inmates who she was in there with, they was like, listen, call your lawyer, collect. They have to pick up answered not a single call. Miss Janet is calling the lawyer saying, hey, can you tell me anything about this case? My baby girl got to get out. What are we doing? He says, you are not Jennifer. I cannot speak to you about her case. Because she's being charged as an adult. So he's not even talking to the parent. I don't even understand. So Janet couldn't talk to the lawyer. Jennifer couldn't talk to the lawyer or public defender. It's now the day of the trial, right? Of her capital murder trial. Her public defender doesn't call any witnesses. Didn't even reach out to any of the witnesses. Her uncle Craig said, I was the last person that talked. According to this story and to everybody's understanding, I am the last person that spoke to her, that allegedly spoke to her during the time that the crime was happening. Nobody has reached out to me. Not a detective, not a lawyer, nobody. They didn't get telephone records to see if a call with him actually happened. I'm sure there are records for pagers. And he didn't challenge any of the police's fin- and he didn't challenge any of the police's physical evidence. And so because the prosecutor has Sergeant Allen on the stand and he testifies to the three different oral statements that Jennifer said and says she kept lying. And the reason that she kept lying is because she was guilty. He also said that Jennifer told him that two days prior to the homicide that some friends had came over to the apartment and there was a conversation between her and these two other young men concerning Miss Palomina, her vehicle, and that one of the men named Ernest who she referred to as E, commented about how clean her car was and that he wanted to take it. There was a discussion about, well, why you don't just steal the car? And then that led to the fact that if they smashed out the windows and broke the ignition to steal it, they'd get less money because who wants a damaged car, right? Right. The state of Texas argued in their closing statement that the statement from Jennifer about the car means that she was not a misinformed child, right? When she signed that, uh... Second written statement, they said, this poor little child is someone who, by virtue of her own statement, tells you she had no qualms thinking about acting as a lookout, going into somebody's apartment while she was there, tying a lady up, and just stealing her keys. No problem at all. That's what her statement says. He said, that doesn't sound like a child to me. That absolutely sounds like a child to me. Because, you know, as a child, you'd be like, well, I ain't going to do it, but I'm going to just stand out here. You think you don't got no business in it, not realizing what an accessory to a crime is? Ignorance is no defense. You think, I'm not doing it. I'm just standing here and doing a little hootie-hoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're going to hootie-hoo your ass in prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whew, so on December 5th, 1997, 
A year after the death of Miss Palomina, Jennifer Jeffley was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to life imprisonment with the eligibility of parole after serving 40 years. So she'll be eligible for parole when she's 55 years old. Um, in 2004, of course, she's trying to appeal because this is bullshit. And in 2004, seven years after Jennifer was convicted, the Houston Crime Lab sent her a letter that indicated that the DNA in her case was that of unknown parties and not her. So the, the DNA evidence that they convicted her on, that was part of the evidence that they presented that the lawyer did not look into, did not look into question. and did not question, read, or didn't even belong to her. Had nothing to do with her. So that whole time when they were saying, we have your fingerprints, that was a lie. We have oh, your blood. That was a lie. There was absolutely no physical evidence connecting her to that crime. There wasn't, you remember um, Angel Bumpus, there was no tape with a piece of her fingerprint on it. There was nothing, which you would think that would be enough to drop the charge or at least give her an appeal. But I think she's a foul for what, two appeals? Well, in the, the first appeal, they... They set her up with the same public defender. The judge gave her the same public defender again. And it was like, listen, this nigga's useless. He didn't do anything for me last time. And, and the judge said, mm, don't care. So the next time they filed an appeal, they was like, Miss Jackie, she was like, I saved my little coins up and I, I got her a real lawyer. And this lawyer is really ready to go to bat for her. And he was like, listen, so a case needs to be thrown out. First of all, you got ineffective counsel. You have no evidence. She was a minor. Her whole confession should have been thrown out because her whole confession is illegal. It should have never been admissible. He was like, of course, I'm gonna get you this appeal. Goes in there, they deny it. He's like, what the fuck, Texas? Like, I don't even understand this shit. Oh, that country, the country of Texas is honestly <laughs> just... They're gonna be like, Texas is it a country? <laughs> she is yet to have a successful appeal. Like, yeah, so she's, she's still got 15 years left. And she spent the last 24 years of her life in jail. She, in the age of 15... She has grown up and has been raised by the prison system. She's never been on a date. She's never driven a car. She she didn't get to experience life. She didn't qualify to go to college in prison because of the length of her time. So her mom had to pay out of pocket, but she was very determined while in jail. She got her GED at uh, 17. She started college at 18. She got uh, two associates. Two associates, dual degrees. She got it in business management and general studies. Um, she started a facilitated class called STAND, which stands for Sister Taking a New Direction. And it helps teach and learn about dysfunctional relationships and help women not latch onto abusive relationships. I wonder if that stems from her relationship with Eva. You know? Well, she was talking about, um, I remember in her interview, she was talking about how women well she was talking about how a lot of the people when you go through such a tragic loss like she lost her brothers and you're just looking to fill that void and sometimes you fill that void with a toxic situation with a dysfunctional situation versus learning how to properly heal from trauma and I think that that's that's kind of where her basics for that uh program that she was going that she created mm -hmm. she uh she, uh, when she originally got there, she was like, I was encouraged to fight, to get in trouble, to participate in homosexual activities. And she was like, but I didn't do any of that. She, she I really just, just they wanted to me to participate in homosexual activities. Listen, Everybody. Big Bertha, Big Bertha, come here, boo. <laughs> come here. 
she said she's had just about every job you can have in prison. She done did laundry. She done been a cook. She was a peer educator, graphic designer, lead cook. Been out in the field. She done did it all. Anything, she can teach you how to do it. Chemical worker, yard worker. She says she's done everything except for a trustee position. She says right now she's looking to mentor people with long sentences to be better when they get out. She became a board member of... BCMA, which stands for Breaking Chains and Making Amends, and they find scholarships for the children of incarcerated people, which I thought that was really nice. That's really nice. That's really great. As of May 2021, she has been working in the laundry department. Um, She's been in hobby prison for the past 16 years and will be there until the successful appeal, clemency, or exoneration. You can learn more and help aid Jennifer in her case at www.justiceforjenniferjeffley.com. Jeffley is spelled J-E-F-F-L-E-Y. Um, she feels confident that one day her conviction will be overturned and she'll be able to go home. Um, I would sure as hell hope so because haven't really heard any evidence of why she should be there in the first place. Even if she was involved, y'all did it all fucking wrong. Y'all did you it got her wrong. wrong. You did it all completely wrong. Like, and the fact that Texas won't even revisit that and look into that. If you went through the court of law how you were supposed to, if you did everything, if there was a lawyer a, or an adult there present with her, if she had a proper counsel throughout the entire process, if she was charged the way that she should have been charged and she was found guilty, that's one thing. We can we can do that. But I can't even see that because all I am blurred out by is the fact that you had a minor child in a question room for over nine hours without a parent, with misleading that child without a parent, without a lawyer, misleading the parent, typing up a document for this child to sign, and then putting her in federal prison. The fact that there is so much evidence and physical evidence that there are no matches to, this stuff like this happens all the time where people are, and that's why the prison system is so broken. Like, you want them you want to get those prison walls filled up so badly that you're not worried about the justice. Miss Palomino's family, they don't get any type of closure because we did the research. There is like nothing on this woman that we could even give you a, a story of who she was because it's so saturated with the fact that you fucked up in her case that no one was able to honor her life like you should have. Her death is now associated with a mishandle of justice. That's crazy. So you've done disservice to this child, and now you've done a disservice to the deceased. Who are you protecting and serving? All right, all right. This product right here is for the men and for the ladies that love their men. Shimshin was created to make your everyday man look and feel great. All products are handmade with natural and essential oils that enhance your skin and hair. Right now, they have two different smelling hair oils, and these hair oils, they're going to soothe your itchy scalp, they're going to soften that hair, decrease dandruff, create shine, promote thick hair growth. They've got a beard oil, and you know men and their beard, okay? This oil is going to soften the beard, help it grow and shine, 
and nourish the skin underneath. They also have a body cream called Body Armor that is going to ease the aches and pains of a very long work day. Their website is shimshonllc.com. You can find them on Instagram at shim, S-H-I-M, two underscores, S-H-O-N, shim, double underscore, Sean, on Facebook at shimshonllc, and you can follow them on TikTok at shim, two underscores, Sean. Make sure you check them out. All their information will be in the description box below. All right, y'all, it's time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I mean, I'm so sorry, y'all. Can y'all call my mama? Did my grandma say that she was <laughs> on the way? I'm the fuck up till my mama can come. My grandma said that she was on her way, right? Is she close? Right. I really don't think I should speak until they get here. God, and you just don't know. When you don't have any type of interaction with the police and you don't have any type of... They start teaching police, like, real police safety in eighth grade. We started learning... But black police safety is different than the police safety that they teach you in school. But when you're from a sheltered environment, when you're from a sheltered environment like Jehovah's Witness, I'm assuming, you don't get exposed to that as often. You're sheltered. You don't think that there is an issue. You think if you just plan your life right, why do you need to prepare for that shit? Exactly. But tragedy, I mean, this family obviously knows that tragedy can strike at any time in any way, shape, or form. And it's just, I feel so horrible for this family as a whole. I ain't doing it, but if I did, like, I don't think I wouldn't be covering for no bitch that I've only known for three months. I don't care if you're a friend of mine or not. Like, we don't know each other that well. But also, you 15 and impressionable. (sighs) Trying to fit in. Trying to fit in. That's going to, that is going to be, that is literally the demise of a lot of teenagers. Mm -hmm. Trying to fit in Mm -hmm. with people that don't know shit. And they're not going to admit that they don't know shit. I'm, you still, I didn't know shit at 15, but when I was 15, you couldn't tell me nothing. I knew it all. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. You got one? I ain't do it. But if I did, I'm I'm with Mariah. I ain't saying shit till my mama get there. Um, uh, uh, I think... When she saw shit was fucked up, she should have head right back over to that house and then, like, or went home. I don't think I would have even waited around for the police. I'd have been like, looks like a whole bunch of shit that I don't want to be caught up on. I'm going to head out. Y'all do you. Keep it cute. I want to hear the story tomorrow. (laughs) I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm going home. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm not moving unless my mama tell me to. I mean, and, or her grandmother or somebody. Like, I just feel like she was just... When you're alone like that, just because your parents are working and you have to just make these split decisions on your own, you rarely make the right decision. And with kids, especially teenagers, rarely is your first instinct. Let me call my mama. Like, my mom always was like, and it was a rule, like, if some shit goes down, you need to be the first person to call me. You need to be the first person in contact with me to let me know before before I hear from anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, um, when something goes down at school, I need to hear from you. You need to go and figure out how to get in contact with me before the school calls me. You need to go and get in contact with me before the police call me. And then that's the scariest call to make, but please don't be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like, I am just I'm trying to do what you told me to do, but you're about to get a really bad phone call. And I'm just how I'm supposed to call you to get yelled at. I think, I think, I think that's part of what a that's lot of kids go wrong is that fear of so either disappointing or getting the, trouble. Uh, I just wish, and I don't know if it's because her mom trusted the police at that time or whatever, but I just, and again, I don't want to blame the mom. She, I think she was really just trying to get by. Like she, she's had a rough couple of years. She's struggling. She's trying to dig herself out of a hole and build her credit up. And she's working all the time and just, she's not thinking anything's wrong. The police are ensuring her that everything's okay. But I just, I remember being at a soccer game one time and I got laid the fuck out. And in soccer, you keep playing until the whistle blows and they won't they won't blow the whistle unless they see that you're super hurt. But you're like out of sportsmanship, if you see that somebody's down and they're not getting up, you kick the ball out so that the game stops. Okay. And I was laid out and nobody kicked the ball out. And my mom comes running on that field and the ref was like, ma'am, you can't come over. She said, shut the fuck up talking to me because my kid on the ground. <laughs> like, she don't play about me. And there's no way I would have been in some jail at 15 and she didn't know where I was at and she was not raising hell. You know, let me talk to your supervisor because I done called you one too many times to figure out where my child is at and I still don't know where she's at. That part. You, you cannot take a child and not inform the parent of where that child is. And now because, oh, gr- bitch, we ain't even, we ain't even say it. This new lawyer, the one that is really going, going hard for her, mm-hmm. was trying to find the court documents, the court records, right? Why are they sealed? Right, talking about because she was a minor. But you charged her as a minor when you charged her as? She, you charged her as an adult, so her, so these are adult records. So they should not be sealed. So you see this huge mishandle of ju- mishandle of justice that has this child she has now spent what 20 something years behind prison mm-hmm. she has been in prison more than she has been out of prison isn't that crazy <sighs> like that is wild and I I really you know in my heart of hearts bro I feel like Ava and them other niggas did it Eva I feel like Eva, whatever the fuck her name is, Eva and them other niggas did it. And they were thinking like niggas. And they were like, if this child goes, it's street thinking. Mm -hmm. If this child goes down for it, she's charged as a minor. Her life isn't taken away from her for real. She'll get a couple years. She'll get a little bit of a bid. Mm -hmm. And she'll be back out. Mm -hmm. But if we do it, you know, we get in life. They weren't expecting that to happen. Now, Crime Watch did couldn't reach out was trying to reach out to her and trying to get a statement mm-hmm. she wouldn't reach out back to them i mean no, listen, she, she wouldn't speak to them but she was like but she spoke she, to them over the phone she didn't want to be recorded because mm-hmm. she was worried about safety concerns but if you ain't do nothing why are you scared mm-hmm. if you didn't do nothing then why are you scared and if you scared they're gonna get a dna sample and she said that she was just so sure that jennifer was involved and of course it was jennifer eva actually said that I ain't tell Jennifer to lie. Jennifer asked me to lie. And I said, girl, I ain't lying for you and going to jail. Like, complete flip the script. If you are so sure that Jennifer did it, what's that there you worried about on the outside? Exactly. If you have no... If I, listen, if I don't know a bitch like that and you want me to lie for you, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't know you like that and you ask me to lie for you, I'm not. And I'm... 
if I know that I have the truth, nobody can fight me on the truth. What they say, the truth will set you free. But first, it'll piss you off. Bad bitches want to be my bae. Now they bitches in prison all day. (laughs) (laughs) No, but she said, I know what I saw. She said that uh, Jennifer had blood on her hands. She ran home, changed clothes, came back before uh, the police arrived and told her to lie for her. Now, this would be wonderful if she was put on as a witness in court and we could actually have her under oath instead of her just talking to some random ass reporter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we don't know if this is truth or not. Like I said, I don't know. This is There is no way for us to say if she's actually, actually innocent or guilty. But what we can say is this was a grave mishandle of justice. And for that, this case should be, if not thrown out, completely wiped and looked at again through the lens of justice, the way that it's supposed to be served. However, we're talking about Texas and America and Black women. And it's like, why are you on? Why are you so pressed after a child? Like they really be thinking that black children are the menaces of society, and they're just like black child, get her out of there. Mm-hmm. It's just <clears throat> this this whole case. It just didn't make sense. What's our next part? Parole, parole or no, no parole. parole? Parole her, set her free, exonerated, clear all the charges. Send that shit to reach out and cancel all of, of the shit that you tried the first time because it was all illegal. And that's what we got to say about that. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say. That today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need. Your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere where you're listening right now you can have your podcast there i promise for real and it's free and you can make some money off of your podcast for free free money free money is out there just go get it by starting your podcast today streaming october 6th on paramount plus first place i learned about death was a pet cemetery dead things buried in that land would come back there's something else something's wrong with timmy he needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery, Bloodlines, Rated R, streaming only on Paramount Plus. Okay, this one's from Miss Jersey. She says, I started listening while on deployment in 2021. The very first episode I heard was the one on Asada Shakur. I was immediately hooked. And then I put on my battles, who were also hooked. The IG photos match with the TikTok mini videos. This is exactly the type of true crime that doctors ordered. Gotta go. My episode is playing, and I don't want to miss a detail. I'm weak. <laughs> this one is from Niggas Mad Blow a Bag. They say, yes, I love listening to these ladies. It really feels like I'm just chopping it up with my sister slash my girls. <laughs> I recommend it to all my friends and family. They tell stories so well from a perspective that I can relate to. So much love, Maron Taz. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Listen, y'all, the ad space special is over. But if you still want ad space for 
any of the episodes, you can email us at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email us to say hi and give case suggestions if you have that, because it seems like you guys do. And that's actually very helpful. We love it. Um, <laughs> I realize I sounded like an asshole, but <laughs> we actually appreciate that. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it is Sisters Who Kill. If you want to follow us on TikTok, it's Sisters Who Kill Podcast. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's Sisters Who Kill Pod. You can join the discussion group. So sorry, everybody. 150 people. <laughs> people Listen. started emailing me. It was like, hey, been this it for a while. <laughs> and I said, oh, it was in our Facebook messages, in our Instagram comments. Somebody's on the comments, like, somebody just let me in the group already in the emails talking about, I've been waiting. And I'm like, Listen, I believe you because I'll be seeing that number and I'll be like, Who? That is up there. And I'm like, I will come back to that later. I'm like, It's 150 pending members. I'm like, oh no. And then look at the 50 of them didn't agree to the group rules. Right. Agree to the group rules. But then, like, uh, 75 of them are like a month old. And I'm like, oh, it's not that I hate you all. Right. It's just that I'm lazy. Um, no, it's actually lazy. Not. It's, it's just, just I'm busy. exhausted. <laughs> and Lordy be. But anyways, we love you all. And they're in there. Some people are like, finally made it. And then literally like 24 hours later, it was back up to 25 people. Like, like the people. And it's it's starting to get life back in the group. It is. It is. It's starting to come back around. Yeah. After I had to put down the hammer. All right, y'all. Um, Let's go to bed, bro. It is. 3.30 in the morning. Whew. All right, y'all. Uh, you got anything else, friend? Talk to us. We talk back. Bye.